With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. It's happening. Happy Friday to you. And tomorrow is July 4th, and it is officially our return to Motor Trend Channel with the best uh, Hey Yeah America piece we could do, honestly. It's, it's the <laughs> Z06s for everyone. They happen to be a C5, C6, C7. They are red, white, and blue. There's a lot of V8 rumble. There's not any explosions, but it almost feels like it because we're up in, in the mountains. Yeah, it's pretty wish cool. Yeah, there were. We should so have thought of explosions. That, that, that's, that's what's missing is explosions. More Michael didn't? Bay. Why was that off the list? Yeah, well, I don't remember. We were know, making the list of things we need. Cars, cameras, mm-hmm. explosives. That's, that's really the Michael Bay list. In fact, I think the explosives are higher. I think with, with yeah. Michael Bay, it's actually explosives, hot girl, then car. Then and, it's a, and it's a car commercial. Anything else. It's a car commercial, but the car's still third. And then the script is like 36th on the list. Script. It's a car commercial. Script. We don't care. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to the podcast. So that, that does start that season, which is really cool. We'll be back on Motor Trend early Saturday mornings through September for season seven. We have brand new episodes coming as well. Those are being edited in a flourish right now, and we are trying very hard to keep consistent on YouTube at the same time. We've never done this. We've never done a TV season while we also released YouTube weekly. We're trying to get through that and keep that <laughs> We're feeling thing. it. We're feeling it. We are definitely feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Lots of editing going on over here, but that's cool. We've got a really cool piece on the sedans coming up, but before you see that next week, have you seen <laughs> Paul finally doing it, fixing the BMW 4 Series Beaver Teeth? It exists. It's out. If you haven't seen it on YouTube yet, we would love for you to see that. It's honestly, man, I have to give you kudos because I learn every time I watch one of those pieces. Well, thank you. But what I like about it is I watch you have a skill I do not have, but I also watch you make it inclusive. You don't come like okay. barging in the door like, I'm going to tell you how it is. But sure. you show that you're very talented and you have a background. You're not just a guy talk. I- I'm a guy that can just talk about design. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, but I can do it. And many of us sure. can. This is the thing I like Understand. about you in automotive journalism that is unique because you can come in and actually show us your skill and your background, even though it's not what you do for a daily. And then you can include us all because we're all car enthusiasts. I think it's great. Well, thank you, man. I, I hope you see that. And uh, my thinking behind the piece was not just drawing two new shapes of the BMW mm-hmm. twin kidney grill because you could do that and you would solve. You would, yeah, yeah. you know, that would be the solution. You'd fix the car. But what about fixing the future of that car? Mm-hmm. What about fixing the future of the brand and, and then giving BMW something to play off of for the future? So that was my headspace, not just, all right, here's two new shapes. And you'll see that. I discussed that in the video. So if you got a chance, I'd love to hear your feedback on that. And it is the Beaver T fixing the four series, <laughs> the Beaver T <laughs> that we've referred to. And you and I have talked about it for so long it yeah. started to distill in my mind okay if i'm going to do this what what am i going to do what is my solve yeah, here yeah, yeah. what don't i like what do i like you know the sketches look great but then in execution that's where everything falls down so it's that's always hard pretty yeah interesting well guys speaking of v8 the 2021 dodge durango srt has been announced okay as of this recording now with the hellcat motor because they're going to hellcat everything if they still made the and dodge they dart they would have the hell dart or I, something like that. I am fine with that, personally. Yeah, I think it went away before they actually got that far down the product list. We also need, by, by the way, we need the Hell Van. We need the Hell Van. We need the Hell Journey. I you know, don't know yeah. what's happening with those. Yeah. But apparently, this particular Durango is only going to be offered for a single model year due to future emissions regulations. That is at oh. least what I've seen from the FCA spokesperson, but that could change. We'll see. You know I'm what that means, not. if that's true? 
They're going to do markup. Oh, I, I wasn't thinking markup. I was just if thinking gonna uniqueness have one year, and the fact that we need to rush out and yeah. buy Durango SRTs. If they're going to have one year, the dealers are going to try to do markup on yeah, a Durango. On a Durango. I mean, but, I get know, it, Hellcat Motor, but it's still a Durango. It is, but the cool thing is now you can have the entire brood. You can load it yes. up with seven people and pull the boat. The boat will be snapping mm-hmm. in the wind behind the Durango Haul the as you drive up the side of a steep mountain yes. Haul to the, the lake. For sure, absolutely. So I mean, that's we, the glory we, of the we Durango like that SRT. about the, the Trackhawk Cherokee. Now it's that with more space, which you, we, we knew it was going to happen. They, they'll, they're going to Hellcat like the desk phones at Dodge, I think. <laughs> They've got it. And my prediction from here on out once we've hellcatted everything, the next logical step is hybridization or electrification to get even more power. So it'll be some sort of, you know, smaller displacement, still a powerful engine in sure, combination sure. with some sort of monster electric motor mm, mm. so they can continue the Dodge theme of, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. You know, so that's, I feel, is coming. So check that out when you guys get a chance. We've got three car debates, if you can believe it. And the reason I say three is because the last two actually relate to each other. And they go quick. We it's going to be really fun. to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wanted to include them both because they're so similar. You're not even going to believe it. The first debate is from Francisco T., who is in the midst of a tricky decision, wanting mm-hmm. our opinion on three particular cars. And He's wanting to get out of budget. a Porsche, which is also very yeah, funny I, to me. I but anyway, that. yeah, uh-huh. that, that's good you put that in there. Well done. But get this. After the break, we've got Jack B. in Big Fork, Montana, who writes to us with the Montana hurdle. Mm-hmm. Jack is 13 years old. And looking forward yeah. to his first car. Because in Montana, you can drive at 14. Yes, indeed. And then we have Samuel. We're also going to talk about Samuel as well. He's interesting as well in relation to Jack because he's actually 14, saving for his first car. He doesn't <laughs> live in Montana, so he can't drive at 14. We think he's in Canada. He's trying to buy a car at 15 and mod it for a year so that he's buying his first car now. So two kids writing the show. We're talking about having a kid podcast. This is a totally different category because yeah. if you are boys on the edge of driving. And I think yeah. about my son at 10 and I go, wow, are we that close? Yeah. You understand that I do. unless you provide your son a car – we're going to have to debate for him. It's going to happen. It's going to be frightening. And yeah. he might be here in the studio debating with uh-huh. us. That's because an interesting at point. At that point, he'll be 14, 15. That, yeah. And I think. Okay, I'm not going to think about that I too much. I keep having conversations with him. He keeps bringing up. So, Dad, my first car. I keep going, you're 10. He's like, yeah, but my first car. Let's talk about it. Really? Slam, click. It's very funny. Summer is finally here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. You know, the leather seats that you thought were a great idea until you scald your legs. Luckily, all you need is a custom sunscreen from our friends at Covercraft. They're awesome. They're amazing. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car and keep your car cooler when you're off enjoying the sunshine. These custom sunscreens come in a variety of colors, and they're an affordable and simple way to keep your car cooler in the summer and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens. I I love it. It's one of our very favorite car accessories. Remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com. Or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. Here we go. Francisco writes to us because he discovered the channel. He said, I don't know how I missed it. Well, Francisco, thank you for writing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for following. We really appreciate it. He currently drives a Macan S. Very cool. Great car. He says it's great. It's a very capable vehicle, but even if he loves Porsche, it's too perfect. Mm. And by that, he means it's sterile. Francisco, okay. I agree with you. 
Interesting. All right. I actually agree with you. Of all the Porsches, the Macan is probably my least favorite modern Porsche. Interesting. And we've driven them in comparison to the, actually the GLA, AMG 45 that we really liked. Mm -hmm. I agree. The Macan was lacking personality. We were in a Macan S. We Mm -hmm. did not drive the GTS or the Turbo. True, 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 yeah. So more power can mean more character. But overall, you're right. It was fine. Well, but I'll go you one further. And this is me, the non, uh, non-Porsche non paddler here, that the thing about Porsches right now is they are all so refined and so good that at normal, I'm taking the kids down the block and I'm going to Starbucks speeds, they are absolutely sterile. And I'm saying almost anything but the serious GT versions of mm, their cars. Okay, okay. Unless you get like a GT3 or a Cayman GT4 or something like that, your, your mundane driving doesn't have personality because the cars are so good and so buttoned down that you've got to yeah. get your, your yeah. Cayman's a great example. You've got to get above 80 miles an hour before your Cayman starts to be like, oh, oh, we are going a little bit quick. But that's 80. Sure. And that's honestly what I love so much about modern Porsches. And yeah. that is the high speeds they're designed for. And then totally. on track, they totally. do come to yes, life. They do. And yes, they do. So, you know, at the higher speeds, I do love that it just it just unfolds and comes to life and all that kind of stuff. But you're right. It, at low speeds, as a matter of fact, my first came in the 987 came in. Didn't really do that. It's true. It had it personality. Was, it was at definitely 30. more raw, for sure. Absolutely. I feel yeah. that there's an opportunity for Porsche to bring a car beneath the Boxster Cayman mm-hmm. that would be more raw because you know less refinement, less yeah. materials, yeah, yeah. you know that kind of thing, and bring something in that category. Mm. But I think yeah. that market's there, but I don't know that they'll do it. But it's interesting. Keep going. All right, so. He considered another Porsche. Francisco considered another Porsche to replace it. He put in an order in for a Cayman with a full red interior, manual transmission, and apparently his dealer kept his money for months, never told him they didn't have any allocations at the factory to even order a car. And only way after that, he found out that Porsche was not making any Caymans because they had converted the production line to produce the Taycan. And they couldn't give him any time frame. That's interesting. The Taycan, I know, is produced right in Stuttgart, right across the street from the dealership and Mm -hmm. the museum. Mm -hmm. I know that particular location they converted to produce the Taycan because that is their new halo car. I thought it was Leipzig for, or actually a supplier for for Cayman and Boxster. I didn't think they were produced in Stuttgart. I didn't either, but no no matter what, his issue is that his local dealer couldn't get him a car. And couldn't tell him when they could get him a car. Or wouldn't tell so him. So at that which point, is he's rude. like, "All right, I want my money back," which is where you were with the M2 years ago. Yeah. But he almost feels like he dodged a bullet because he loves the Macan. But he's talked about how maintenance now, not problems, mind you, maintenance has been wildly expensive. See, this is the downside to the mm. Porsche lineup. And I will say this as a guy with my, my wife's Cayenne just rolled over 130 thousand miles this week, and it's still awesome. It's really, really good. It drives good. so well. It drives better than most new SUVs that it's, we test. It's kind of surprising yeah. how good it, it is aging. But here is the thing. That doesn't typically randomly break. It's been the most reliable car my wife and I've ever had. And when I say reliable, this is, this is my definition. Reliable is when does it surprise me with a problem? Like a Maserati? Yes, or a Phaeton. Surprise! Yes, yes, exactly. It's like, huh, that's leaking now. <laughs> when does it have a surprise thing that broke? Mm-hmm. And the Cayenne in... Six years of ownership has had two. You put regular money into it, though. But we maintain it. Mm -hmm. And the problem is when you maintain a Porsche, this is the flip side. Porsche has this perception of being an unreliable brand because it's a German brand. I think that's wrong. If you watch a lot of the the 
surveys that they do to track reliability. Porsches do really well. The problem is that when you replace something, it's probably at least 20 to 25% more than replacing that on your other random car. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as a result, Francisco's looking at this and going, man, the maintenance on this is expensive. And you're right. And if you had a Cayman, the problem is now you'd have that maintenance, but you'd add brakes and tires because you're going to want to drive that car fast. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you've had, that, you've had that tire issue as well. Yeah. And to be honest, Francisco, my Cayman has cost me very little money. The oil changes are 200 bucks because I have a, an independent mechanic here do it. But I'm going to have to put some money into it. I've tracked the car twice. And it, you know, it, you can tell the tires are going to need some, you know, some replacing here soon. And, you know, my mechanic said, well, you've probably got one more track day left in these pads and rotors. You're probably mm-hmm. going to need to think about that, which is suddenly money. Now, I've tracked the car. I haven't yeah. just yeah, yeah, driven sure. normally. Otherwise, I've changed the oil and it, it runs. Yeah. It's been wonderful. But normal usage, but then two track days. But that car, those really wide, really massive, sticky Michelin tires. Yeah. And then... Four corners of brakes and rotors. Yeah, I got some. That has a really me. hefty comma in it. So yeah, yeah that's. So I understand. Look, I understand what you're saying here, Francisco. And it's not that you don't like the Porsche. You do. You're just thinking. All right, let's step away from that world into other options. All right. So he would love to go back to having a manual transmission. He okay. likes great interiors. He places a high value on reliability. Understandable. Okay. For this reason and other issues that he's had with other vehicles, he's had a Mini Cooper S. He says it's been a wreck. The direct injection engine is full of issues. Mm-hmm. Now, keep that in mind because this references some of his other commentary. For sure. He would prefer to shy away from direct injection engines. In fact, he said they recently purchased a Camry to replace the Cooper. And even if an Accord and a Sonata are better, technically he went with a Camry because Toyota's reliability, but because of the D4S engine, he says this is a combination of direct and mm-hmm. port injection. Yeah, that was on the engine for He's the He's really shying away from pure direct injection mm-hmm. engines. And there is there is a segment of the car buying populace that is noting this. Now, let me, mm-hmm. let me step to the side here real quick. My parents have got a direct injection engine in their uh, Equinox, and it is having genuine carbon buildup. Is it? And they are noticing reliability. Well, that's not fair. Running quality issues. Let's put it that way. The way the engine runs. What year is that thing? It's not that old. It's not that old. Like a 17 or 18 or something? uh, Side note. I I borderline begged them to buy a Mazda CX-5, and they bought another GM product. And it's been... (laughs) They they looked you in the eye, nodded, and then promptly didn't take your advice. It's been been fine is how it's been for them. But that's a direct injection issue. The thing that we're talking about here is you do get buildup. And this is manufacturers moving to direct injection for extra miles per gallon. Mm-hmm. which yeah. typically has happened. By the way, let me just stop here real quick. Let's put two things on the list real quick. Direct injection and continuously variable transmissions. <laughs> Both of those were were transitions that manufacturers made. And let's be honest, in mass, yeah. not like a yeah. couple and not like a couple of cars, huge shifts to those two things to get a few miles per gallon on either point. But now we're having the flip side of people having those for a while and finding that they don't like the CVTs and the reliability is questionable, that they don't like the direct injection because of the carbon buildup and sometimes you lose engine power and other issues. Now, all of what I've just told you exists. The problem is if you put a line in the sand like Francisco's gone here and go, I don't want anything direct injection – you kind of shoot yourself in the foot for buying anything new because that, yeah. and, and again, yeah. CVTs. Between direct injection and CVTs, a huge mass of the market has one of those two or both those boxes checked. So once you start to avoid those things, you limit your choices massively, and now you have a discussion about, I'll give you another one, electric power steering. 
Okay. okay. If we, as guys that love steering feel, and here I am with the, with the Lotus with no yeah. power steering at all. If right. we said, I'm not going to buy or really enjoy anything with electric power steering, I better just keep the Lotus and not drive anything else. Because True. the whole market's shifting. Porsche, True. you know, BMW, everybody that had yeah. good steering feel has gone electric power steering. So at some point, you have to die to the fact that the technology has moved to something that you don't like as much. And that's tough, but that's where we are. Yeah, it's it's... Staying on the side note very briefly, it's in the same category of automotive journalists claiming that every car just needs a manual transmission and it'll make it better. Mm. I completely disagree. Mm. I think that's that's a crutch. Okay. Yes, manual transmissions are beloved and we and do love them, mm-hmm. but let's define better. It makes it different. Certainly mm. the car, you're moving your right arm and your left leg. Yes, you're you know kind of dancing mm. there and you're engaged with the car, but better... Does that mean the chassis and the steering and the you know how it Interesting is point. balanced through the turn? I, I'm, and I'm hearing your point. All that okay. kind of stuff. Does that make it better? Mm. No, it just means you're shifting. You're moving your arms and mm-hmm. legs now. That's yeah. all that really means. Yeah, that's I mean, fun. Yeah, the but en- it doesn't make it better. The engagement is more across the board with the manual mm-hmm. transmission, and I the, I'm, I am one of those guys. A I think it's on a per you. car basis. I am one of those guys that I wish everything came with the option. Everything. Sure. However, sure. however. I think there are certain cars, specifically sports cars, things designed for those of us that love driving. Everything should have the option, even if it's not into SUVs. Would and stuff. be great, but be great. But to your point, how are you driving? Because if you're driving and stop and go, you don't. Do you need? Do you need? Are you better for the manual? I don't know that you are, but I do like one point you're making here. Even though I'm not entirely on your side, one point I do appreciate what you're making is it didn't change. The steering and the chassis capability and the things that make the car fun in the corners were not right. changed by the fact that you changed gears. I, I, that's what I'm always asking us you. and myself and other journalists. You know, we consume a, a lot of content as sure, well. Sure, sure, yeah. You can't just say, well, this car would be better with a manual because. Mm-hmm. No, tell me why it's specific to this car. Mm. Give me reasons and break it down. Don't, don't just use a blanket crutch statement and tell me, well, because enthusiasts like manuals and manuals are better. It's the same thing for you with, mm-hmm. well, it's, it's, it'll just run because it's reliable because it's a Lexus. Yeah. No, that's not why <laughs> you should just choose it. It didn't make the car better. Reliable is great, but it didn't make the car better. Right. You know, same someplace, category for me. Someplace I think we disagree here on this specific subject is the C8. Uh-huh. I, I love the C8 in its current form. We have a really cool piece on TV coming out for it. It's, it's, it's a surprising car. And I say this genuinely. It is a surprising car. It's an interesting car because it was not necessarily what you and I expected. And I mean for that sure. in a good way. For sure. So it's yeah. very interesting. We have that piece coming up with the C7 and the C8 together. I think the transmission they have in there is excellent. I still think, in spite of the fact that if you look at the interior, they cannot. Mm-mm. It should have a manual option. This is more discussion in the piece, but I'll get back to Francisco's email here because he gives us three options, specifically one that, you know, we could debate up one side and down the other. That is a Supra. And he's saying, you know, I know the Supra is almost all BMW. Well, there is a lot of BMW in it, but consider that it's built by a supplier Mm -hmm. in Austria. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not necessarily built by BMW. It's built by a first-tier supplier to the automotive industry, even though it is a joint collaboration. Francisco, keep in mind that we were told at the Supra launch, the reason they partnered with BMW and the reason they chose that straight-six engine was because it passed Toyota's stringent 
reliability mm-hmm. checklist. Very curious to see what the long term of that engine is we because are. of that. Absolutely. I hope it does. I hope that's true. It's not like they haven't considered that. True. No, it's not just they like didn't just blindly, yeah. okay, we'll pick a BMW engine mm-hmm. and that's what the internet wants you to think. That's yeah. what everybody yeah, yeah. suggests. Well, it's just a BMW. Well, Toyota actually brought a list of requirements to the table. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have gone forward unless it met their requirements, too, because they're putting their name on it. And their warranty behind it. Everybody says, oh, it's a Toyota. It's reliable. Wait, BMW engine? Mm-hmm. Well, they screwed up in this one. Well, did they? Well, did and, they? And, and look, Toyota is a massive company, and you could argue, yes, they have – let me go two different directions. Does Toyota have the money – to make a factory, to make a one-off straight-six engine. They have the money. Of course they do. But does it make sense to make an engine to only put into one car? Not really. So they partnered with BMW, who just kind of apparently has a big line of engine codes hanging on the wall, and you just pick one. It's like a buffet for engines. But But they did pull that engine specifically and do their own testing before they said, okay, that is a straight six we want. So I'm with you in all of that information. I am fascinated five years from now when we get beyond the Toyota hype to hear if people have issues. So like the FRS, BRZ, they had uh, valve spring issues, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until three or four years in that it was even discovered. Right. So right. who knows where this engine goes. But also, that engine that's in the Supra, I'm off on a wild tangent here, it's not like it showed up to be in the Supra. It's been around for a while already. Correct. Yeah. Indeed. So it's like direct injection. I think manufacturers are going to find that going pure direct injection is going to start affecting their warranty claims. And if they do, they're going to back away from that. That doesn't mean that CVTs and direct and direct injection is from here on out, everybody. That's not the case. Mm. So I do want you to be open to things, but we do want you to get in, a, into a new driving experience. Francisco says for most of his life, he's considered Mustangs as just crappy cars. And we're fighting words to most of the people listening to the podcast. A lot of people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He says the only one he's ever liked is the current generation. He loves the looks, the digital dash. They are cool. They're very and good. he's saying, I'm not sure because of the reliability and track record. Well, you know, there's plenty of people that can point to, hey, I've had nothing wrong. I just, you know, mm-hmm. take care of it and it's fine. That is across the board. We can't just definitively say that's bad, that's good, because here's FCA and Kia with JD Power initial quality <laughs> Star Wars. They're, you're they're bring, you're bringing that top. back up, are you? Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. because he didn't consider FCA products because they're unreliable. Yeah. Maybe a few years ago, but we've always got to continually readjust our own perception. Mm-hmm. We bring our own perceptions from yeah. 20 years ago about what you thought of Honda. Sure. Well, they're just going to be awesome and they're great and they just run. And is that still the case? How about FCA? How about Kia? Mm-hmm. Are they just, mm-hmm. they're just junk. They're imported junk. No, they're actually on it. They have brought the wood to yeah. the rest of the car industry, as a matter of fact. Well, and I find it funny because go. Just, you know, don't put on your full hazmat suit. Just put on just the big boots. Wander that far into the the internet. Just the waiters. Just the waiters. Wander (laughs) that far into the internet. And any car you pick, you can read pages and pages of this car is awful and won't get out of the shop because. Fill in that blank. They're out there. Indeed. And then if you have the ability, the the problem is the people that are liking their cars aren't on the internet telling you about it in a general sense. (laughs) They're out liking their cars. They're out liking their cars. Actually, (laughs) no, what they're going on with their life, they're not even worrying about it in any direction because their car started and worked and ran. So you can find people on both sides of the equation. The most most extreme example, because I think we all know it to be true, is the old uh, Mazda RX-8. Oh, sure. Which had a tendency to eat up engines. Yeah. And it was not uncommon. Or it didn't. Exactly. It was not uncommon (laughs) to find people who were like, I'm on my second or third engine at 100,000 miles. But then you would find that owner who was like, what's wrong with all of you? 
<laughs> exactly. And, and I think I'm telling you one of the, the bigger truisms of the last 10 years of cars, everybody knows the Mazda RX-8 has an unreliable engine. Kind of in general, we know this. Sure. But yet you can find that guy with one that he's just like, and? Mm-hmm. Mine just runs. Exactly. So it's really hard to paint with the broad brush. And I want to say this. When you buy enthusiast cars, you kind of have to go, I'm taking this for the good and the bad. And especially if they get cars with personality, now back to where you were with Porsche, the Porsche may just run but cost you a lot in maintenance. What if you get something that's a little rawer, a little cheaper in maintenance, but it's not quite as reliable? Is that trade? I'm asking you now, Francisco, is that a decent trade-off? That's only something you can answer. So now that we're past all that, there's three vehicles on his radar, the Honda Civic Type R, the Supra GR 3.0, the 2021 car with sure. the, the update, yep. higher number on the sheet. Mm, yeah, and in, and in the engine, thankfully. It's not just on the sheet, but yes, we it's all wondered. Yeah. It's true. And the Mustang, he says mm-hmm. the newly announced Mach 1 sounds very enticing, okay. which I agree. It, it is interesting. It's a way to get that feel mm-hmm. of the GT350 without going all the way as mm-hmm. far as you know power and... Another brilliant you know. engine with pages and pages on the internet of this is going to break. Mm, exactly. Yeah, onward. So... He's concerned about the super low-profile tires on the Civic Type R. This is the crazy thing about this car, Francisco. You look at those and you think, well, that's just going to break my back. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. You put it in yes. comfort and you're going, what car is this? Wait, I thought these had 20-inch. W-. They do. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they're 53 pounds per wheel and tire. <laughs> it's they're heavy. Nuts. It's nuts. And then you put it in sport mode and it comes to life. Mm-hmm. And then you're thankful you've got those low-profile tires yeah. because then you're ready to chew up corners. It's astounding. Let's be honest. You're going to go through those tires. Yes, yes. And they aren't going to be great if you have a lot of potholes and nastiness in your road. If like, if you regularly hit stuff in the road, might want to go down to the 18s. Might want to find some smaller wheels. I don't know how you do that. But, I, but they had that version they were selling. What was it? The Sport? What were they calling it in Europe where they were selling oh, it with, the, with yeah, smaller wheels and no no wing? And we all went, where is that in the U.S.? <laughs> Bring that. So, yeah. So yeah. that is that is an issue. And also there have been people that have had issues with that car in weather because of those tires. And they don't have great grip and, and wear. Those are all – it's all realities. That's the flip side of what Paul is saying, which is you get in that car, especially with those concerns, and go, why does this ride this well? Yeah. Because it rides really well. <laughs> really well. Yeah. All right. So the new Supra, the 2021 Supra, yes, that 3.0 is fantastic. It's a great car. We love it. But he's concerned about it being direct injection. Again, you can't yeah. apply that. Yeah. It's too new for us to know. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to ask all of us five years from now. So how how to do? How'd that play out? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how is the Supra now? Yeah. We can't. But, and, you know, he also says if they do come with a manual, Toyota is not telling us, by the way. They mm-hmm. have not revealed that. If they, you know, hinted to us, their their liability is on the line there, their well, liability and credibility, because I doubt we could keep that secret. If a manual were coming and we you, knew it, you and I we'd would, be like, yes. We just, would not be able to. Get you know, we'd be yeah. just, you know, telling all of you, hold off. No, just hold off because of the reason. I mean, Francisco, look, two, two thoughts, and I have absolutely nothing to back up what I'm about to say than a hunch. I think they're going to bring a manual. They're talking about changes to this car every year. I think they're going to bring a manual. I think the they are too. The problem is no idea when. It could be the yeah. last year of this generation, three or four years from now. <laughs> like we talked about. Is it going to be that BMW cable transmission that everybody's like, And that's yeah, a great a question. Manual, that's a great question. I... 
Yeah, if if if, if it's the feel it. of the BMW transmissions versus like a Porsche transmission, you're going to be glad you have a manual, but you're going to go, I really wish it was better. And now the internet's got a new thing to rage about because yes. they brought a manual, but it's not the right manual. And then everybody with the automatics oh. like, true, made the right choice. So I, I wouldn't tell you wait on the chance that it has a manual sometime in the future when we can't suspect. I, I right. just Because right. you could enjoy your car for years prior. We like all of those. Ultimately, what we're coming to is driving homework because only you can decide if you do like those low-profile tires or if you do love the Super enough to go get one. The Mustang is interesting. needs to be driven. You need to drive the GT and then go drive a GT350 if you can because that's essentially what the Mach 1. It's right in between those two cars at the sweet spot, that price point right in between. That's why they brought the Mach 1 name back Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to capture that. Well, I want something a little bit more than a GT. I'm fine with almost the same amount of power, but I want just... Yeah, you know, a little yeah, yeah. bit more on edge, crisper handling, something mm-hmm. like that. Get the Mach 1. Look forward to driving that. I have to say, Francisco, I, I like all three of your cars. Clearly, we're going round and round with your debate because we do like all three cars. I am going to stop you at the Supra and say go there. If you can get one for your budget, I think Supra is your answer because you really care about the quality of interior. Mm-hmm. Well, the interior on the Supra is nicer than both the Civic and the Mustang. You kind of wanted to get a Cayman. Mm-hmm, well, the mm-hmm. Supra is modeled after the Cayman, but you get Toyota reliability and Toyota maintenance costs. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think all the boxes that you're saying that are making you leave Porsche, you can get as close as possible in the Supra. And that's why I think the Supra is your answer. I do love that. I, I do. It's taken us all this time to tell everybody the budget, which is about 50 grand, but you probably inferred that from our discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Francisco, the car you should get is the BMW 1M. Now that's interesting. <laughs> okay. 50 grand. Okay. Unicorn. Yeah. Once in a lifetime. Manual transmission. BMW. I don't believe it's direct injection. Turbocharged. Unique. Hydraulic steering. Hydraulic steering. I One see M. it. I see it. All right. All right. I love that's the good. Supra and I, I'm in full agreement of the Supra. If you mm-hmm. like the Supra, we hardly write. Even if now. If you like the Supra and you want to take advantage, as of this recording, Toyota's offering some sweet money. Yeah, on the, on the Go 2020s get a twenty twenty. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's a brilliant car. But if you just really want to be out there, one mm. M. One M is great. I, I have to give you credit. The one M is great. I don't know. Uh, you have to look at on the maintenance cost on that, but that is from a It'll really be good a bunch. It's it, a really sure. good era of BMW though, with hydraulic steering and a fantastic engine. And oh, that maintenance that's a good car. is worth the cost to it's, own that car. It's a good car. That, I, I hadn't <laughs> gone there, and you you have almost changed my mind because the one. But M I love is the brilliant. Supra. I, yeah, love I know you do. I know you the do. Supra. It's brilliant. We're longtime users and big believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care since 1990. Griot's is also a family company based in Washington State, and they're dedicated to having the best products for every car and budget. In fact, Paul learned his crazy certified Paul-owned car care from Griot's. Now is the best time to tune up your car care routine. Foaming requires little to no work, and it also avoids some wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your ride. Try out the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made right here in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EVERYDAY for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. 
one of the things I love about doing this is we get emails from literally all over the world, from all walks of life, from all ages, from everything you can imagine. Okay. Pretty cool. Uh, this is a first in spite of that. <laughs> at 500 plus episodes, we are still at a first with Jack writing to us from Montana because his email starts so normal. It's just, I I live in Montana. I was mowing the grass. I was looking for the podcast. I found your podcast to help me when I mow the grass. And I'm just thinking, okay, and I'll be honest, call me biased, whatever. I'm picturing a guy in his 30s with a house in the suburbs. That's what I'm picturing. Even though it's Montana, that's what I'm picturing. And then the next sentence is the reveal that Jack says, by the way, I'm 13 and a half. So clearly what's happening here is he mows lawns for money. Yes, he does. He's made good money. He is going to be able to start driving at 14 and a half, and he's just about to turn 14, which means he's got himself a six-month window. And here's the nutty part. <laughs> he has his own money, ten dollars to $12,000 to spend. He wants to buy himself a first car because at 14 and a half, he can drive this car. I, we have to solve this. We have to. Jack, I had that kind of money when I was twice your age. I almost when I was 26, had I was, that much. You know, thankful I had ten grand to spend on a car. He was browsing for a car podcast mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. because he mows lawns. I did that same thing. I mowed so many lawns. He browsed the list of top 10 search results for car, and he says those ratings really do help. We keep saying, guys, your ratings definitely matter. And this he discovered the Everyday Driver car debate, and he said, little did I know how much that would change his life. <laughs> and now he loves cars even more, and his family can't get him to shut up. <laughs> his, uh, by the way, parrots that are now listening, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just have to kind of say, as a parrot, kind of. I kind of have to say I'm sorry, kind and of. yet at the same time, glad to be talking to Jack. He decided that for his first car, it would be a fun car. He says, as Todd has mentioned, in Montana, you can get your permit at 14 and a half, mm-hmm. and the decision is weighing heavily on his heart. <laughs> With- <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. I have to stop again. Just picture this, everyone listening. You're 14, and the biggest stressor in your life is how to spend ten to $12,000 on your first car. I, I like all I, – I hope this for my son. I don't know where he's going to get ten to twelve grand. He lives under my roof. But at the same time, I, I hope this level of stress for my son. That's awesome, Jack. All right. So ten to twelve grand. He says, unfortunately, rear-wheel drive cars are out completely. In Flathead Valley, where he lives, they get an average of 72 inches of snow every year. That's about okay. six feet of snow every winter. And he's been in situations where four-wheel drive cars have been stuck, including but not limited to Titans and F-150s and Toyota Sequoias. His piano teacher does drive around on a Honda Civic. And by the way, Jack, keep up with the piano. I made a decision at 10 to continue with it, and mm. I never regretted it. Mm. Just keep it up. Other talents Paul has that I really do not. <laughs> yeah, going on. He says the Civic does fine in the snow. And I'm guessing that in Flathead Valley, everybody's discovered winter tires. This is just a guess well, because six feet of snow – you would think that everybody's sort of like, we're winter tire so. experts. But I also think it's funny town. that we're talking about Titan pickup, Ford F-150 pickup, Toyota Sequoia, S- big SUV on a pickup frame. They're having trouble in the snow. Yeah. Then there's this left turn that your piano teacher does fine in a Honda Civic. I am wondering about tires and all of the above, and, I, and I'm wondering how many of these trucks you've seen doing badly are people in a four-wheel drive going, ah, I'll be fine. I got four-wheel drive. Tires, Jack, please hear us. That is the key thing. Keep going. By the way, Jack, you need to discover some of Billy Joel's original classic compositions that are not part of most people's discography. You need to look some of these up. He's actually still a brilliant composer. Anyway, just food for thought. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Most people don't have paved driveways, and there's a debilitating amount of salt on the road. And he knows, Jack knows what everybody listening is thinking. Just go get a WRX, man. Yeah. I I did think that. I had, Jack, I had reached the place where I thought, (laughs) you know what you need? Anyway, yeah. 
Unfortunately, Jack does not like the styling and the public image he would have to embrace with that car is too much for him. Interesting. Okay. All right. All right. Totally fine. Okay. The car must be a manual, must be fun, good in the snow, stylish, reliable with decent insurance. And I'm, I'm glad you're addressing Mm -hmm. that issue because that is at the top of our minds. P.S. He's got an internship at a local garage, so maintenance is not a big deal. Okay, good. Insurance, like I said, is the biggest factor here. Yeah. And your insurance agent can help you start, Mm -hmm. you know, estimating Mm -hmm. payments and what that's going to be. I think you're looking for something inexpensive and older to save on those insurance costs, but still sporty looking, Mm -hmm. like you said, unique and fun, Mm -hmm. sort of like a Volkswagen Corrado. But don't you dare buy a Volkswagen Corrado. (laughs) Don't you dare. All right. All right. Good, good. Go on. Go on. I'm just saying in that perception that kind of vein. Like, I see where you're going. Corrado's cool. Just stop. Do not buy one. <laughs> His part of that might be the Volkswagen Corrosion. I don't think it's going to last very long. <laughs> there we yeah. go. Now, keep in mind, this is your first car. It's only a forever car because it's your first car. Mm. It's not going to be a forever car. This doesn't have to be, well, this is the one. True. I say True. that because yeah. I want to take the anxiety away because you are you're spending a right. huge chunk of money. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I don't want you to think, well, if I, if I don't make quite the right decision, I'm screwed. No, you're not. That's tr- absolutely not. true. So I'm going to free you from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It'll have the memories because it's your first car, but yeah, it's totally. not, again, your totally. forever car. That's very good, Paul. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. We're all full of stories about our first car, you know, how we couldn't wait to make more money, so we'd buy the second car that we have our own. Don't, don't worry. It's coming. Wow, my first car was terrible. That did lots of those stories. We all have our stories. This is, I'm telling you, I was fast at changing that alternator belt. Carried him in the back, changed it at school to be able to drive home. It was, I was really good at it. My sister could stand, my, my younger sister, four, year, four years younger, would stand, arms crossed beside the car, waiting for me to be done. Seriously? And I would still get done fast. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, oh, onwards. With all these things in mind, I've got a few suggestions for you. You might have already considered. They are front-wheel drive. Well, actually, the Mazda Speed 6 is all-wheel drive. I have that on my list, too. Did you? Yes. I'm thinking that might be older and tough to find one, but the maintenance is not a problem because you have your internship at a garage, okay? Mm-hmm. The Fiesta ST is inexpensive enough and great, great, great okay. dynamics for it's front-wheel great drive dynamics. car. I, it's brief, brief, brief side note here, Jack. We're going to make recommendations you have to call and check on the insurance. Indeed. That's, because yes, anything yes, yes. we say might be thrown out by insurance. I have a buddy in L.A. and his son. <laughs> Your agent laughs and rubs their hands together yeah, exactly. thinking about their remodel on their house from the money they're going to make off of you. Yeah. I have a very good friend. He's got four boys. His eldest is college age. And his eldest decided to buy himself his first car. Because, of course, he's trying to provide cars for his kids. At least it's L.A. you got to yeah. have a car to get around, right? Right. But his eldest decided to buy a car. And so this friend of mine, you, you know Greg, he, yes. he starts writing yeah. me and asking about, what about this car? What about this car? And he finally tells me, okay, I think my son's picked his car. What do you think of the Genesis Coupe? And I said, great choice. Can he afford a Genesis Coupe? Right. At right. which point Greg said, he can afford the car, but his insurance is going to be twice his car payment. I thought it was just a little bit more. I didn't realize it was twice the car payment. It's almost twice as much. I didn't realize that. And he bought the car anyway. Yikes. And so Greg, my friend, just kind of just kind of looked at me. It was just like, he's college age. It's his car. But he's like, I, I had to sit him down and be like, let's look at your budget because twice as much for insurance. And this, and this kid's like 20, okay, 2021. On the other hand, well, at the time, he was still living at home. So, you know, yeah. laundry's free, meals exactly. are free, living's easy. This, yeah, this was the you whole know, discussion. So, so Jack, whatever we talk about, yeah. there's a full stop here on, you may call your insurance company, be right off the list, but we're going to explain them anyway. 
All right. So those two are on my list. Like I said, inexpensive enough, and I think you'd really enjoy it. And you could save maybe just a tiny bit of money. Mm-hmm. If the insurance mm-hmm. is more, let's pay less for the car, and then you've got a little bit more money left for future insurance bills. But at the top of your budget, I thought of the VW Golf R, the Mark VI, the 2012 oh, to 2013. They are, and they're at the top of your budget, like I said, but every one I can find has well over 100,000 miles, which I don't love. Oh, I don't love that either. The only reason I even hint at it is because of your internship at the garage. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have Mm -hmm. that, I would say run away. (laughs) But, I mean, we're talking 124 to 140,000 miles for Uh, a $12,000 Mark VI Golf R. It'd be great. That but I checks am worried, all the boxes. I'm worried about that reliability. Like, I do take it for it. Yeah. It's it's like a step under the Corrado for me. Like don't <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. So I say the most GTI that you can afford because it's the best combination of price and miles. And I do approve that again because of okay. your garage access. You're going to want to learn, and you will maintain it, but you'll have the resources mm-hmm. to it, to do it properly. And again, these cars don't have to be fast or beautiful. Neither Todd or I's first car was fast or beautiful. They just, they weren't, okay? We want something that will teach you car dynamics from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Therefore, I suggest a Honda CRZ. Wow. All right. I'm just picturing that in a snowstorm. Winter tires. His piano teacher Civic just runs. You're right. It just runs. It it drives by the F-150s probably with winter tires. Now, a trend here, Jack? The CRZ has good fuel economy. They're manual. They're reliable. They're front-wheel drive. They're good, you know, on winter tires. They're lightweight, and they're under budget. Yeah. Get those for yeah. six or seven thousand dollars. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, it's crazy. I like the GTI better for the dynamics and the power. Mm-hmm. But again, insurance is a huge factor, everyone. Mm-hmm. We can't go super sporty. We can't go high yeah. horsepower. We can't. Yeah. I just want you to start learning heel and towing and downshifting and interaction. Power will come. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. That's later. I just yeah, this is this is just first. Interesting. A first car, Jack, can last a year. It could last two. It doesn't have to be until you're 18. <laughs> my it, my it doesn't. terrible four-cylinder Firebird was, I think, three or four months, and we got tick, sick of <laughs> throwing off belts less. at it. There you go. Yeah, exactly. But something to get you into it so, so you start deciding, yeah, I like this aspect of cars. No, I don't like this aspect okay, of cars. I see where you're going. And then pretty going. soon Jack's going to write to us and be like, yeah, I bought a rear-wheel drive something. It's a sports car. It's super powerful. I'm sideways in the snow all the time at the age of 17. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jack, one of the things I want to say about insurance here, and, and you will find it to be true, the crazy thing about insurance, and it relates to, to all of these discussions, like the one we got coming up from Sam, it relates there again. As cars get old enough, they kind of become insurance irrelevant, because the cost of replacing them is so low yeah. that your insurance, even as a young driver, starts to be like, oh, that's not that bad. There is a, there's, there's a tipping point here, and it's going it, to depend literally car to car and car reputation to car reputation. Sometimes mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. Honda Civics are surprisingly difficult to insure kids on because so many kids, their parents went, I'll get you a nice, safe Honda Civic, and they wrecked that Civic. It may be a base Civic, true, true. but now the insurance rates have gone up because the percentage of Civics wrapped around a pole, I know it's a terrible image, that's been more because young drivers were in them because they were safe and cheap, and then they wrecked them. Conversely, things like Miatas typically have very cheap insurance. I'm not recommending one for you, by the way, for young drivers because typically young drivers aren't in Miatas, mm-hmm. and the people that are never wreck them. So there's a weird – this is why it's a car-by-car car discussion. Yeah. yeah, I went from my FRS to the Lotus Elise and saved money on insurance. 
Insane. What on earth? Because people don't wreck the Elise. And the Elise was older. Yeah. Craziness. So there's so many variables. So keep that in mind. I have three for you that I want to recommend. I stayed... All-wheel drive. You did. Okay. Please buy winter tires. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm now singing it. I want you to hear it so badly. Okay. <laughs> Todd's singing the, the winter tire song, everyone. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. We're going to record that. So, yeah. It'll be a, you know, it's you gonna can be feature a it on my album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a special wow. guest appearance. How wow. Okay. I, I, you didn't I, see that coming. I, I almost need a minute. Okay. <laughs> so the winter tire song is over. Please get winter tires. But here's all, three all-wheel drives for you, all of which I think are going to be under ten grand. Okay, good. They may be hard to find. Okay. But you know what? You and your dad take a road trip. Get out of Montana, find a metropolitan area, buy one of these three cars, drive it home, make it an adventure. Okay? okay? Right. You mentioned the Mazda Speed 6. That's actually a possibility. About 230 horsepower, all-wheel drive. It's, it might be borderline too much car for you. I think it's on the cusp. It's because like the, it's the WRX not because it's, that car because is. Because it's, it's not a rocket ship, but it is a, a genuinely good Excellent dynamics, nice manual transmission, all-wheel drive car. Yeah. Okay? Less powerful than that, hard to find, but simple. I'm thinking about something to work on. Suzuki Kazashi. Those Kazashi. I was wondering if you'd bring the Suzuki. you're never going to see another one. Yeah. You will be the only one in town. I, I, that crossed my mind, but I'm just wondering, is it you know like buying a Saab? I think body panels. Here, here's the thing: that might be off the list for insurance because body panels are probably harder to find than engine parts. Yeah, could be. Could but be. I, I remember driving one. The dynamics are solid. The interior and and all the mechanicals are simple. You can find them in manual transmission. They're not common. But every every single year here in Park City, Salt Lake, the snow starts falling, and they come out of the woodwork. <laughs> the Kazashis come pe- out. <laughs> seriously, people have them as winter cars, and they just work. It's December eighteenth. It's Kazashi Day. It is Kazashi Day. And then my last one, because I thought of this, you've already identified, Jack, that the the Subaru WRX could work, Mm -hmm. and you don't want one. So you know where I'm going. (laughs) Oh, yes. Saab 92X. It is everything you need for the WRX, but it isn't one. That's cool. And if you don't get a big WRX exhaust, nobody will know what it is. Now, you can get the base model, which is not turbo, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Manual transmission, mm-hmm. it'll run. It, you're maintaining a Subaru, so that'll be easy. If you you can actually get an Arrow for less than ten grand, which is the turbo one. There's a debate there about insurance costs. There's a debate there about power. I don't think that's too much car. It is the nicer version of the car, and it is more powerful. It's also not a rocket ship, so there's going to have to be a debate with your parents, I'm sure, on that. But I actually wonder if the Saab 92X, in one form or the other, is just the answer. Mm. Interesting. Didn't you tell me that that pulled the steering rack from the WRX STI yes. and installed yes. it in that car? That was the whole beauty of that car and the things nobody knew it's about. It's got a better steering rack than WRX because they, yeah. par- they just went parts picking. Yeah, interesting. All right, Jack, we're we're curious for the update. Keep us informed with your choices and you know what transpires. Please don't make me sing the winter tire song again. Yeah, I don't want to hear it either. I'm not going to compose music to it either. In that debate, we've got a quick update, well, a quick addition from Samuel B. We believe he's in Canada. He's saving for his first car, and he's 14. Mm-hmm. He's got a job. And Jack, meet slowly, Samuel. Samuel, meet Jack. No yeah. kidding. He's slowly making the money to save up for this first car, and he's 
also looking for a car for about $10,000 or under Canadian. So this mm-hmm. is about 7300 US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the difference is he's looking for a project car. Yeah, he wants to do that one-year build. This is actually something that you hear a good number of kids that do this. They buy a car that, let's be honest, isn't currently very good. It may not even be yes, running. Yes. And they spend that last year building it out. What's crazy about it, look, I was not given this instruction. I would have appreciated it. What's crazy about it is once that car is running, and the brand new driver starts driving it, if anything breaks, they go, oh, it's this. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right. So he's been looking at Gen 4 Mustangs, Nissan 350Zs, okay. Mazda Miatas. Okay. He has driven RZRs, and he does ride motocross, so he has experience with vehicles. That's cool. All right. Now, he's planning on buying this car when he's 15 and modding till he can drive it. You've heard of modding out of class. This is modding until you can drive. It's a thing now. It's a thing now. Watch that budget go skyrocketing. Anyway, yeah. But again, he's looking for a fun car that the insurance company won't kill him for. Mm-hmm. I understand about the builds. I'm cautioning you because if you're learning, well, if you're not driving the car because you can't mm. and you don't know the dynamics of the car stock, you might be wasting your money. How do you know you want to buy That's that part an and add it to the car and it's a great project and you'll think, ah, I'm solving the cars, whatever. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know that your money is well spent? That's a great point. If you're modding it before you can drive it. If he was taking it back to nice running condition and something like a polished up, uh, refined version of how it should have been stock, I can see that. But I take your point. That's better. Yeah, because once you start throwing the parts that the internet says is better and you can't go drive it, now you can't even do your R&D. And now when you start right. driving the car, you have no frame of reference on did I make it better. You just right. have car now and it drives like this. And you may n- never know that I should have left the shocks normal. I, I know it's awesome That's to thumb through the pages of catalog and parts and you think, ah, I'm going to save my money for that intake and that exhaust and those <laughs> brakes and I'm going to install them and it'll just be, uh, how do you know? As Todd said, you can't do R&D. You, you don't yeah. know what it used to be like. You can't get your money back out of those mods when you try to sell the car. You just won't. True. I see where you're going. But if you kind of half restore a car, you're only improving the value of that old Miata or that older 350. Imagine trying to go buy a perfect stock 350Z. Mm -hmm. Good luck. But if you had one that was put back to great condition this is a great point then people are going well shoot you never see these it's perfectly stock in awesome condition you've taken care of it you've replaced almost everything that's worth more money you make a good point because if he mods it that money's gone that money hopefully he likes it but if he makes it nicer yes you could possibly sell for a profit i hadn't even thought about that that's interesting okay so if you're gonna save your money and do the mods Yeah, yeah, yeah mod it to stock Mod it back Mod to it the to way nicer. it was. Yeah, make it nicer. I totally see that. That's Improve interesting. Everything. I see that. Re- yeah. You know, have that chrome trim replated. Have that bumper repainted. You know, replace mm-hmm. the original everything. Replace the A-arms so they're back to new. Take the yeah, rust out of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, And then you've got a pristine thing that nobody else has. Yeah, and it drives like it should. Yes. May not, and here's the thing. I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. It drives like saying. it was engineered. Exactly. Might not drive how you hoped it would, Sam, but you'll understand how that car was supposed to be. And now when you're driving, you can go, you know what I wish this had? And you'll know where to go. And then for those subsequent cars, and by the way, I think the jack list applies to you, Sam, the list of cars. All those are considerations too. That's because a possibility. You could mod any one of those cars too. Sure, yeah, yeah. Once you've done that, then you sell this car for a profit because it's amazing and nobody has one. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And then you know what dynamics you want to chase for the future mods you want to do on your next car. 
Interesting. I want to speak to the cars he's brought out, but I, I do take your point. That's good. Do you have others? That's that's what I'm thinking. I, okay. I do think the Jack list applies here to Sam too. I think like it. Yeah, yeah. All those cars that. are consideration. And again, we're we're dealing with insurance too. Mm-hmm. Which totally is tough. This is the big big number one question here: is your insurance? I totally agree that Miata would work here. If you bought a two thousand dollar Miata and you refresh the whole thing, you could sell that as a $6,000 Miata. Mm-hmm. I feel confident that you could. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very possible because all the ones that I've seen that are like that $2,000 range, they need stuff. They run, yeah. but they need stuff. You did all that stuff, you could sell it for more. Not that you're buying it to sell it, but that is interesting. That would work. I like your 350Z, but you know what I think might be better? Because again, back to what we told Jack a minute ago, as cars get older, they get cheaper to insure. Right, right. What about a 300ZX from the 90s? A non-turbo. A non-turbo. A non-turbo. <laughs> yeah. That car is still – look, I drove it as my only performance car for years. It's one of the reasons I started this show. It is not a powerhouse, so your parents don't need to be afraid, but it is genuinely fun to drive. It has good dynamics. They are classic-looking, better-looking than the 350Z. I'm going there. Yeah. And a nicely specced one of those, you probably will make your money on. But they are so cheap. The non-turbos are so cheap. Cheap now. So 300Z. They're ZX. cheap now, I think but then a, a fully yeah. restored – brilliant, perfect, then you're king of bring a trailer. Possibly. And then the Gen 4 Mustang, look, I'll be really honest with you. I think it's okay. I don't think it's a standout here. I think it's okay. I think an early Mini Cooper is a possibility. Buy a cheap one of those and make it nice. Mm -hmm. And then I also want to say this in the wild card category, because I actually think what I'm about to say might be cheaper for insurance Mm. and more interesting to build on than a Gen 4 Mustang, a Porsche 944. Non-turbo, <laughs> Porsche 944. They're old now. They're old now, Sam. Yeah. So you can get them crazy cheap. All of the ones that are crazy cheap need work. Yeah. They all do. The parts are there, though. And because they are so old and because you didn't get the turbo, it may say Porsche on the badge, but I bet your insurance company is going to be like, that car's just not worth much. Yeah, but they're also almost old enough to start going back the other direction in maybe, value, especially maybe. if you re. Re, yes, you know, the, remake, restore. But the non-turbos are not anything to be precious about, though. True. Buy one. True. Make it something you can drive it. Look, I know. Look, parents right now are hearing me and going, Porsche. <laughs> I know you. Look, as a parent, yes. I get it. Yes. But these are not powerful cars with proper dynamics. Yeah. And I do think the in- – now, you're going to have to check. I do think the insurance may be really cheap on them because they are, frankly, old. You're going to have to – you know. Use your sad eyes with your insurance agent and mm. plead and, you know, <laughs> no, but I, I try to convince them. Every time you and I do these crazy things and we swap out cars, I'm always surprised at the weird variables that change one car being more expensive than another one. Mm-hmm. It's never the stuff I expect. Yeah. And so sometimes, like the Lotus thing, the FRS, all kinds of stuff, I, sometimes I'm like, really? It's, that's the insurance on that? Or it flips the other way. I'm like, why on earth is that so expensive? Yeah. You kind of have to check, and it has so, some, so many things to do beyond just you as a driver, so definitely look into it. Have you ever wanted to cruise the California coast in a replica Shelby Daytona coupe? Yes, us too, and now's your shot. DriveShare, the coolest online car sharing platform around, is giving you the chance to win an ultimate dream drive. All you have to do to enter is to tell Haggerty where your dream drive is, and you could win this one, the Shelby Daytona Coupe on the California coast. We're talking California Highway 1, PCH, in a Daytona. Enter today at driveshare.com slash dream drive. That's driveshare.com slash dream drive. Sticking with that theme, there's a question on Facebook from Burl Pettibone who asks, how do you associate the cost of a vehicle to the driving experience? Mm. 
That's where we kind of ended up with both Jack and Sam. Mm-hmm. Burl's asking, is a 1988 Carrera an extra $10,000 worth of driving experience over a 1M? Mm. Isn't a lease worth an extra fifteen grand over a similar layout, similar packaged MR2 Spider? Ultimately, Burl, only you can answer that question because there's things that you might mm-hmm. not like about the Elise. Mm-hmm. There's, they do this one thing and they do it so well. Yeah. The handling is brilliant. It's, it's a fantastic car. Do you want to live with that car? Do you have Todd's tolerance everybody. level? Yeah, absolutely. You absolutely. might think, you yeah. know what, the MR2 and maybe it'll be a little bit better for me and I like mm-hmm. the styling better or whatever. But as far as putting a value on it, it's just like houses or anything else. My dad growing up always said, well, it's worth whatever somebody will pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your house is really based on all the other houses around it. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. kind of how they determine the value. I'm going to stay with your house analogy here because that's a really good analogy here. How many times, Burl, or any of you, have you been in somebody's house and really liked it and would never want to live there? You're like, this is a Plenty really nice times. house. And yeah. you're thinking, I don't want to be here. Not for it's me. It's a nice house, right. but I don't want to be here. Right. This is, this is the price of fun question you're asking about cars. You have to drive these things to compare because – Conversely, if you walk into somebody's house and you think this is the house I should own, you're going to figure out how much you can offer them. You know what I mean? So if you were to drive an Elise and an MR2 Spider, which one do you want to drive daily? Right. You may think, I love the Elise. It's great to drive. I'm having so much fun. This is a fantastic experience. I could never own that. <laughs> right. Yes. That may be the end of that sentence. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. The price of fun is undefinable. Mm-hmm. It isn't just, well, this is $10,000 more expensive. It's about that level of engagement that makes you want to pull out your wallet and spend more. And there is nothing wrong with you going the unexpected route. But you mm-hmm. have to drive them because it's that life experience that makes you go, that's for me. Or, no, no, that really isn't. <laughs> that's great. S. Vicentius is asking about the Model 3 handling. Um, Excellent. He's saying that he's heard a lot of people talk about it having brilliant handling. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. Look, I've even heard this. I've even heard people, some car journalists, say it handles like a Cayman. Everybody, I take issue with that. Everybody hang on a minute. Okay? I take just, issue. Just, just hang on and take a breath. The Model 3 does handle very well. Okay. I don't think it handles brilliantly. I don't think it is an amazing car in the handling department. What's interesting and what I think has influenced a lot of people's understanding of why they think the car is so great is it handles different than what most people have ever driven. There isn't a lump of engine in front of you and the batteries, mm-hmm. all of the weight is spread across the floor. Thank you. The weight's low. This cha- these are not light cars. This changes the way the car handles though. Most people, not all, most people have never driven something where there wasn't an engine in front of them. True. The first True. time you drive something without an engine in front of you, it feels quite different. And you suddenly go, what is up with the steering? The steering's really great. It's very interesting in this because you right. lost all that weight up front. Yeah. 911, Lotus Elise, any mid-engine you can think of. This is what happens. Carmen Ghia, for God's sakes. I mean, this is my point here, okay? <laughs> you put the engine in the back and the steering becomes lively and interesting and totally different than you've experienced. That goes on in the Model 3. True, true. It doesn't have that lump up front. It doesn't have information through the steering. No, it I, rotates yeah. pretty well for its size and especially for its weight, but it doesn't handle like a sports car. <laughs> but if you bought it because you've only ever had a minivan or you've only ever had a Camry front wheel drive with an engine up front, the Model 3 compared to that 
may as well be a race car as far as feel of steering yes, and as far yeah. as rotation. So where are you coming from and what are you? But let's all slow down for a minute <laughs> because it's not, yeah. it doesn't handle like a sports car. Because frankly, let's be honest, it's not a sports car. They're shocking. Yes, it's, for sure. Lots of shocking It's a, it's a big surprise. Thank you for the joke. <clears throat> Thomas G22 asks me how I like the design of rims these days. What would I change? One thing, Thomas, make them easy to clean. <laughs> This is the Paul School of Car Design. Make it easy to the clean. End. I'm going to clean it. <laughs> when designers are sketching wheels, I think this doesn't even occur to them. Mm. Make them mm. easy to clean. Make the nooks and crannies so you can get more than half a finger down in there to get the dirt out. Because you can't water jet blast it out with a pressure sprayer. The drive through car wash, heaven forbid, won't get it out of there. <laughs> and you're out there with your Q-tips going, Ugh. You're out there with the Q-tips. I, I just am. go, well, that wheel's going to be dirty. Yeah. HRE is probably my favorite wheel manufacturer. Mm. They are currently in partnership with GE Additive to make 3D printed wheels. They are called HRE 3D Plus wheels. They're not currently for sale. Those are going to be cheap. You can buy a car for the cost of one of them. Yeah. But they use two things, direct metal laser melting and electron beam melting to create wheels never before thought possible out of titanium. They produce extremely complex designs in very fine detail, but I have zero desire to clean them after a hard Canyon drive. I have when they're trapped full of brake dust. I am horrified just to ponder what the cost of one of those wheels is going to they be. They look amazing. They're intricate webs of, of they are. brilliant, yeah. amazing design that I have no desire to clean. <laughs> okay. All right. Technology. Isn't easy to clean. <laughs> Tanner G Images asks on uh, on Instagram. He says, uh, "Okay, how on earth do you finance a car more than four or five years old?" He's having trouble accomplishing that. I'll tell you what I've done, Tanner. That has worked. Don't go to your typical places. Go to a local credit union. Mm, yes, good. and bring and bring good credit. Three things that have helped me: local credit union, good credit rating, and buying a car that I can show across the board seems to be maintaining its price or isn't very expensive in the first place. Mm -hmm, All mm -hmm. of those things help. You're going to have to get, get into a negotiation with your local credit union, but this is possible, but that's been my success story because if I try to go the traditional routes, you're right. Many credit unions have got stops on, okay, it can't be more than this, but like the credit union I work with is 10 years. They're not four or five, they're 10 years. But then I walked in with a Lotus Elise that was 15 years old and I explained what the car was and I showed them examples and they went, that will back. (laughs) If you sign up to be a patron on patreon.com, you will meet Matt because he is the keeper of the Discord channel. Mm-hmm. He goes by Waffleophagus on Twitter and he says, Hey, Paul, watching old episodes, check out the timestamp of the M3 versus Quadrifolio. Be careful what you wish for. What I wished for was <laughs> BMW to get drunk and dance on a bar and start doing cool designs. They did. Well, There's a, now comes the hangover. Yep. Ooh. Nothing ever came good out of drinking too much and sketching. No, nothing ever looked good. Don't drink and, and sketch, uh, friends. Don't drink and sketch. Wow. They they have, and they have the beaver teeth now that we're all saddled with. So if you haven't caught that video yet, I encourage you to give me your feedback. Curious to know what you're interested in seeing. What, you know, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Curious to know, like I said, your feedback. Thank you all for your questions. We really, really appreciate them. They're always interesting and engaging and you know, make us think too. But for keep sure, writing to us, sure. everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. And on social media, we want to hear your feedback on season seven. The reruns actually are yep. up front, yep. but new content is coming we'll as informed. well. And the old episodes are still coming to YouTube yeah, too. Exactly, we'll keep you informed exactly. on all Thank of you. that. 
All right, guys, thank you so much. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>